Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the FearCast. So, uh, from the outset, thank you so much for downloading and listening to the first episode, the brand new episode, the inaugural episode of the FearCast. Um, I'm your host. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist that uh, is hoping to answer your questions and help you along the road to recovery. So from the outset, I'm honored that you would be uh, that you'd be willing to download to and listen to this episode. Um, so thank you for letting me be a part of your recovery journey. This uh, uh, this podcast has been a dream of mine for quite some time now, and um, uh, uh, like. Uh, what I will be asking you to do is to take risks, to take those challenges, to face your fears. Uh, you're listening to mine. Uh, this has been something that has been that has been exciting um, and uh, 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 terrifying at the same time. So it's something that uh, I have to put my money where my mouth is and take the risk, just like I'll be asking you to do as well. So, as this is the first episode, I want to talk a little bit about what my goal for this is and what you can expect. So first, you can find us on the web at fearcastpodcast.com. So that's www.fearcastpodcast.com. There you're going to find a bunch of information about how to find a therapist, how to get involved. Uh, You're going to learn a little bit about me. But more importantly, you're going to find ways to contact me through uh, both the website and through uh, a voice message uh, to uh, ask me your questions. And hopefully in future episodes, I will take those questions and I will use them on an episode and answer your questions for you and for someone else in the world who may have that question. So first and foremost, please know that um, uh, this podcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you are looking for for a therapist um, or are not working with one, uh, you can find more information about finding a OCD uh, therapist through our website. We'll have a couple links to a couple different avenues to find some therapists, but uh, this podcast is not psychotherapy, should not be considered psychotherapy. Uh, If you're uh, uh, wanting that, um, there are plenty of of well-qualified, well-trained there are a number of well-qualified, well-trained therapists out there who know what they're doing. So uh, I want to try to connect you with someone out there. So about the podcast, I want to try to demystify some elements about OCD, about anxiety, about challenging your fears, and about taking risks um, so that you can start, or you can actually get out of the bubble that you are in, out of the the confines that OCD and anxiety put us in, and to help you to be able to get back to a life that you would rather be living. Right now, with the fears and anxieties and, and, and worries that you have, likely speaking, it, it, it feels like it's holding you back. So I want to try to help you to understand different ways that you can get out of that that you can challenge yourself, that you can think differently about your thoughts and about your situations to think more accurately about them, and then most importantly, to go out and take risks. So, another thing that this podcast is going to be for is for you to ask questions that uh, that you may not feel comfortable to ask a family friend, a family member, 
um, your, your, your best friends. Um, and for some folks out there, they might not even feel comfortable asking these questions to their therapist. Um, and for some of you out there, you might not live in a city or a state or even a country that has a, a well-qualified OCD or anxiety therapist who uses cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. Uh, or you live in one of those places where, where one of those therapists isn't easily accessible, either through uh, just distance, through availability, or through financial uh, means. Um, so this podcast is for you if you're one of those folks. Um, it's also a place for you to learn about OCD and anxiety treatment. I'm going to try to go over some tips and tools and tricks that you can use uh, to help you on your journey. Additionally, I, I want to try to normalize anxiety and to create a space where you can feel like you're not alone. Um, so much of our anxieties feel so personal and they feel so private and they feel so terrifying. Uh, I constantly hear, excuse me, I constantly hear. I constantly hear people will say, I thought I was the only one, or I've never told anyone about these thoughts. And I'm honored to hear those, uh, to hear those questions or to hear those statements or to hear those fears. But um, I want you to feel empowered that you're not the only person and that there are uh, thousands and thousands of people across the world who also have the fears that you are experiencing right now. So to that point, this podcast is not for everyone. There are going to be some things that we talk about on this that are uh, kind of dark. We're going to talk about some really uncomfortable things because, please remember, fear is only limited by our human imagination. So if you can think it, you can be afraid of it. And if you can think of something that could happen, your brain is going to be terrified by it. So, we're going to be discussing what some might consider gross, weird, taboo, funky, uh, disgusting. Uh, we're also going to be talking about some things that are potentially violent, potentially sexual, potentially profane, blasphemous, or, or uh, otherwise offensive subjects. So, uh, uh, listener discretion is advised. Um, but I'm going to try my best to not shy away from those things and try my best to not uh, sugarcoat or uh, uh, pretend like we don't have some pretty horrific thoughts that bounce between our ears from time to time. So, for and I will do that for those of you out there who feel like you're the only one who has those thoughts and that you're so weird because of it. But... For some of you out there, that's not going to reflect your experience, and that's not going to resonate with you. Uh, and in fact, I'm probably going to lose some listeners out there because of some things that I say or some content that's on here. I would encourage you to keep pushing through and uh, to keep listening because there might be something that reflects your fear or it might help give you empathy for someone who does have that fear or have those thoughts. Furthermore, family members out there, this might be a great way for you to understand the sort of stuff that your family member, your loved one is going through. Uh, and, and remember, part of the brain, or there's part of the brain that we have that is is just intended to give us awful, awful stuff to think about. And it's not something that we need to be afraid of. It's not something that we need to be uh, 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 running from. But it's something that, that can be accepted, and it can be acknowledged, and it can be appreciated. Uh, and it can even be used for, for the better. It can be used to join in with uh, some of our friends 
It can be used for creative purposes. It can be used uh, to grow ourselves and to build empathy for others. So there are some great things that our brain does in that it gives us terrifying thoughts, but it can also be to our benefit. In future episodes, we'll be talking more about that. So my goal for the podcast is eventually to to become a weekly podcast. So for you out there, you can expect that on some day, there's going to be the Fearcast that's coming out that you can listen to, and uh, you can get some more tips and tricks and tools uh, uh, for your recovery. But as of right now, I'm just going to be pulling some questions that I found on the internet. The amount of podcasts that we're going to have is going to depend on how many questions I get. So the more questions that I get, the more episodes I'm likely to put out. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there are going to be two ways that you can submit questions. One way is going to be through message. So you can find it on, on our website on fearcastpodcast.com. You're going, to be, you're going to be able to find a link that says submit a question. And you're going to be able to go there, fill out a form, submit that, and that will go to me. Um, another way that you can submit that is through phone call. So I'll include the number here and at the end of the show, but uh, I would love for you to send a voice message because a voice message is far more interesting and hearing my voice over and over and over again. So that number is 714-594-9281. 714-594-9281. So you can call there, you can leave a message, try to be brief, try to be to the point, but leave a message and, and I will try to include that in a future episode with your voice in it. Because again, this is your journey. This is for the listeners out there. And it's so much more powerful to hear the, to hear your story in your voice than hearing it from my voice. So that's why I want to include that. So, which brings me to, well, myself, who the heck am I? So my name again is Kevin Foss. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. And uh, currently I work with the OCD Center of Los Angeles. We're a, uh, a private practice uh, uh, based out of Los Angeles. And I am uh, I work out of our Fullerton office. And uh, we specialize in OCD, anxiety, and anxiety spectrum disorders, which includes trichotillomania and uh, dermatillomania. Um, so prior to that, I also have worked in the Westwood Institute for Anxiety Disorders, which is an intensive outpatient program just for OCD and anxiety disorders. It's a three-week program, and it's, it is it is fantastic. Um, uh, there are a number of other programs out there, and, and I'll probably talk about those at some point. Um, so in, additionally to the two places I have worked, um, I've also uh, given a couple talks at the IOCDF National Conferences on scrupulosity issues related to the family within OCD treatment and destigmatizing anxiety spectrum disorders while teaching others uh, about the realities of living with anxiety, which by the way, for you out there, isn't just what they show on TV. So it can come with a lot of different stuff. Um, so enough about me. So I want to give you a quick example of how it is that you can reframe uh, anxiety to yourself uh, for those of you out there. Now, again, this is going to get kind of dark. It's going to be related to a dog. Uh, the dog in the story might get hurt. Now, as I record this, um, my dog is sitting on the floor in this office and um, uh, she looks adorable. Uh, no dogs were hurt in the making of this example because it is an example. 
and it gets dark. Okay, I think I've made my point. Okay, so um, so I want you to imagine that you and I are sitting in a room trying to have a reasonable conversation, but uh, outside the window, you hear this hear this dog, this big, scary-looking dog, giant teeth, uh, and and it's barking at us and looking directly at us and looks super terrifying. But more importantly, it's just stinking annoying. So what we try to do is we try to yell at this dog, you know, hey dog, calm it down. It would be great if you could not bark so much. Thanks, bro. Something to that effect. Uh, and that's not working. So we start getting louder. We start getting a little bit more, uh, a little bit more pirate mouthy. We start maybe cussing at it. We start yelling at it. We start getting uh, even more annoyed and we start breaking things around the room and, and trying to scare the dog away. Nothing's working. So, because uh, you and I just, we can't have our conversation with this dog barking. And now we get so distracted and we've, we've now been yelling at this dog the whole time. And, um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you remember that uh, you carry a pocket full of steak. Because you do that. So, uh, you, you take the steak and you walk over to the dog and you, and you take it and you, you take the steak and you shove it right in the dog's mouth. And that has quieted the dog. And finally, you and I can have a reasonable conversation. So the dog is sitting over there quiet. You and I can finally talk. Now, the dog is thinking to himself, hold on here. So I annoyed those two humans over there and I got steak out of this. This is great. I'm going to keep doing this. So you and I again tomorrow, we come back and we try to have a chat and the dog comes by again, knowing that we're going to be there and starts barking, 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 barking. And because it's got all that steak in its system, it's getting a little stronger. So we yell at it, we yell at it and nothing works again. And then we go, oh, that's right. Steak shut that dog up. That worked out really well. So you grab steak that you continue to have in your pocket because that's the type of person you are. So you take the steak, you shove it in the dog's mouth, the dog is quiet. We go, oh, that's that's great. So time goes by, you and I meet again, and the dog comes by and it starts barking, 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 barking. And this time it's louder. So you put steak in the dog's mouth yet again, but that's not working. So you need to put a little bit more steak in the dog's mouth than you did the previous two times. That finally shuts the dog up. Now, Time goes by. This dog gets stronger and bigger and louder, and steak is expensive. So you are getting a little annoyed by how much steak you have to carry around in order to keep these dogs quiet so you and I can chat. At some point, you and I just say, we are done with this. We're sick and tired of it. It takes so long for you and I to talk. It takes so long to shut that dog up, and steak is so expensive. It's getting in the way of life. So we say, we're done. No more steak for this dog. So what we do is the dog comes by, we're trying to have a conversation and the dog barks and barks and barks. And remember, it looks terrifying. It looks like it's going to try to bite us and we fear that it might. But we, we look over there and we just say, no, not today. And the dog barks and barks and barks and barks and barks and it's super annoying. And it goes on for a long time, but eventually the dog gets a little bored and just kind of looks around and goes, fine, whatever, walks away. And it's great. We didn't get bit. We didn't have to give the dog steak. It's fantastic. We tried the best to have our conversation. Now, the next day we come by, dog comes by, dog barks and barks and barks. Um, we again say, no, not today either. No steak for you. So the, the, the dog gets annoyed, starts barking and barking, getting louder and louder, but eventually gets bored. But the dog got bored and got quiet in a shorter amount of time than it did the day before. Now, we keep doing that over and over and over again. And every single time the dog comes by, the the time it takes for the dog to get bored, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And this is great because while you and I have to suffer through that, sh that short amount of time where the dog is barking and barking and barking, but 
We're not having to get, give it steak. You and I can eventually have our conversation really easily. And uh, you're not having to uh, put out the expense of steak and having to go through all that again. Now, here's what's happening to the dog, though. The dog is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because we're not feeding it. So the dog is trying to get food elsewhere, but man, it's not getting steak from us. So, so what that dog does is eventually gets smaller and more feeble and quieter because we're not giving it any steak. And then eventually the dog just withers up and dies. <laughs> All right, okay, so I told you it was going to get dark. Again, no dogs were hurt in the making of this example. The dog is our anxieties and that anxious voice that's in our head. The dog is going to come by in our life and try to bark and bark and bark, and it's going to look terrifying. And it's going to suggest things that are going to happen. It's going to say, you're going to fail. You're going to die. If you don't do this, your cousin's going to get cancer. If you, don't, uh, if, if, if you get up on stage, they're all going to laugh at you, uh, or you're going to get fired. Um, or if you, uh, if you don't wash your hands right now, or if you don't do this to the point where you start to feel okay, then you're going to catch some sort of awful disease and you're going to get sick, or then you're going to pass it to somebody else and then they're going to die and you're going to have to live your entire life with the guilt that you did this. Sound familiar to some of you? So, the dog is never going to kill you. The dog is never going to hurt you. The dog is really just going to scare you and annoy you. So what we are doing over time is we are going to hold back on giving that dog steak. In other words, we're going to hold back on giving that dog, or giving our anxiety rather, compulsions. We're not going to try to seek that, that certainty, that confidence, that safety that our anxiety seems to think that we need to have. But ultimately speaking, we don't. We can live in uncertainty, and that's okay. So to this dog, we're not going to be giving it stake to our anxiety. We're not going to be giving, giving into these compulsions and trying to get to that certainty. And over time, that dog is eventually going to wither up and die. And our anxiety is eventually going to wither up and go away. Now, it may not go away entirely forever. The dog may not die completely, but another dog may come by or that same dog may come by and give us a little whimper every now and again. And we, if we give it steak, it can kind of grow up and get strong again. But if we keep holding back, we can learn to tolerate that dog's annoying bark. So in terms of anxiety, in terms of how this really weird example has worked out, consider this to face and challenge and beat up on your fears, you and I are in the dog killing business. Okay, again, I know it turns really dark, but it's all to the point of we need to remember to hold back on that, on, on getting that safety, that sense of feeling okay, and taking that challenge. When we didn't give the dog steak, it felt like it was going to bite you, but ultimately speaking, it didn't. The likelihood of our fears coming true are slim, but, you know, possible that dog could have bit us, but it oftentimes doesn't. So we take that risk and we see what happens. And that's what this whole podcast is going to be about, is working to challenge your fears and move past them and be stronger than your anxiety. So if I haven't lost you already, let's move on to some questions. So, I have a pure O obsession that is so disruptive. I'd rather not even write it here because it stresses me out. Is it possible to switch an obsession? 
I know it can happen without you realizing, but I want to switch my obsession to something less stressful. My past obsessions were nowhere near as stressful as this one, and I want to get rid of it. Also, I'd love tips on how to calm them entirely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. So when I'm I'm reading over your question, and it uh, it reminded me of when I used to run a group. So inevitably, someone would join the group, new person, and uh, they'd be looking around at everybody else, learning about their anxieties and, uh, and their struggles. Uh, and inevitably, they would look over at somebody else and they would say, man, I wish I had your obsession or I wish I had your fear. Um, and, uh, and the person they said that to would look at them like, like they were nuts, like they were crazy, that, they, that it didn't make sense. Or that they would look at them and say, yeah, and I wish I had yours. Now, the reason that they did that is because they have the ability to look over at the other person and to hear their story, to hear their struggles, and to also see their distorted thinking, to hear where the pitfalls are, to hear what's inaccurate in it, to hear where they're jumping to conclusions and all that. Um, whereas when we are in the middle of our current anxieties, that's all we see. We, that's all, we only see the stuff that we're afraid of, the stuff that is scary, and we let that story bounce between our ears and we kind of confirm that it's real. Whereas somebody else says, uh, it's, it's, uh, it might, you might be jumped to conclusions there. Um, so th the reason that I bring that up is that you're, you're saying, I, I want to change my obsession. It sounds like what you're saying is, if I could change my obsession, then everything would be okay. Then I wouldn't be in as much pain as I currently am. Now, the problem with that is, inevitably, whenever you shift your uh, your obsessions and our, our obsessions are and our fears are likely to shift over time. Um, sometimes when we um, go into a different phase of life, new things will bother us. We'll have new values. We'll have new things that uh, are really important to us, and then OCD is likely to just latch onto it, and then that will it will be your new obsession, whether you like it or not. But you said, can I do this selectively? Um, I don't think you can, nor I don't think we really want to. Because uh, if we do that, then what we're trying, what it sounds like what you're trying to say is, I want control over my obsessions, and that is a compulsion, and you're not going to be able to do it. So what we need to be able to do is to be able to tolerate the obsession that we currently have. Um, and what I would encourage you to do is to think about what it would be like to explain to somebody else just like that person in group, explain to somebody else what that fear is, what you're actually afraid of. You said that you didn't really want to write it here because it just stresses you out way too much. Um, so I want you to think about explaining it as if you were to actually tell me or to tell your best friend or to tell your mom or someone like that. Um, oftentimes when we do that, we'll preface it and say something like, I know this sounds crazy, but... Or we'll say something like, um, I know this doesn't make any sense, but... And then you start to explain it. Now, the reason that we add that preface onto it is because we are hearing our obsession and interacting with our obsession from a different perspective. We're hearing it from their ears. And when we do that, we start to see the inaccuracies. We start to see where things are uh, blown out of proportion, as I previously said. So I would encourage you to think about what it would be like to explain it to them in that fashion. And then I want you to think about what about it, what about your fear is leading you to say, oh, no, this sounds crazy. And then I want you to think about, all right, what what actually sounds crazy in that? Now, I know I'm using that term very liberally, but um, what sounds 
not as terrifying, what sounds distorted. And then from that, that's going to help you to start to see where your current obsession might not be as terrifying as you currently think about it. Now, you already have an example of this. You said, my past obsessions were nowhere near as stressful as this one, and I want to get rid of it. I think what that illustrates, and I'm reading into this, but I think what that illustrates is you are already seeing your fears from an outsider's perspective. You're seeing your past fears from your present mind. Our past fears always seem quaint and adorable and not that bad because they don't have that emotional impact that they currently have on us. Your fears right now come with all of that for you. It makes you have all of those uncomfortable sensations and thoughts. Now they're experiencing or you're experiencing them right now. So remember that the fears that you previously had were really uncomfortable, but now they have shifted. And now that this one is the new uncomfortable fear and thought, but the previous ones, likely speaking, didn't happen in the way that you had imagined they were going to. So remember that this fear, like all the other ones, they're never going to kill you. They're never going to harm you. And they're never going to make you do anything that you don't already want to do. And this fear, like all the other ones, are likely to pass. So food for thought and consider thinking about and pointing out to yourself where these thoughts sound inaccurate. Best of luck. This next question comes from the OCD subreddit uh, on Reddit. Um, unfortunately, the user who put this up has since deleted their username, so I can't cite the exact person who had said this. So uh, I'm just going to answer it because I think it pertains to a lot of us with anxiety and our struggles with anxiety. So here's the question. Anytime I do something that I feel is immoral, I tend to dwell on it to such an extreme that I don't even want to leave my house. I start thinking of my past self and that I haven't really changed and my anxiety shoots through the roof and I have insane amounts of self-hatred. Does anyone else deal with this? So I really wanted to answer this question because I think this is really common, as I said, to everyone with OCD and anxiety for that matter. So what they're talking about is that sometimes, or what they're saying is that sometimes that they, they start thinking about some of the mistakes they've made in the past, some of the stuff they did that, that was against what they believe, against what they value, and against what they think is important uh, to themselves or to the world around them, um, what they call the immoral. Um, sometimes we also call this ego dystonic. So you'll also hear this or read this as ego alien. Uh, what this talks about is uh, doing something that is against or thinking something that is against what we truly believe that that at our core self, this is who we are, what we think, what we value, what we uh, uh, some, sometimes call our, our worldview. Uh, and, and one of the realities that I'm just going to say at the top is Sometimes we do things that are against our values. We make mistakes. Sometimes we make mistakes or we do things that are against our value system uh, at the time on purpose um, and then for whatever reason, for a number of reasons. Um, and, and it sucks. And we have our reasons for doing it at the time, but, um, but then afterwards, oftentimes we then start to ruminate on it. We start to beat ourselves up. We start to reflect on the actions that we had, the thoughts that we had, uh, what we did to somebody else or to ourselves. Um, and we really start to think about how 
we we regret that and how if we could go back in time we would 100% do it differently um and the the weight that comes with that can just be overpowering and and this person uh, as they said they don't even want to leave their house there's so much guilt or so much shame associated with the thing that they had done now this is so common for all of us because again we're going to make these mistakes one of the first things that we need to do in in order to get out of our anxiety to overcome our anxiety is to develop a strong attitude and position of self-compassion and forgiveness for ourselves. We are going to make mistakes. Everyone is. And when we make these mistakes, if we get sucked into it and held down by it, then we never get a chance to move forward and never get a chance to rectify our mistake or to apologize for it or to do something different. So, this brings me to my next point about re- recognizing and knowing what our brain tends to do. So I tend to believe that that rumination and depression and anxiety, for that matter, have an adaptive bent to it. They have an adaptive quality to it, but they can also very quickly become problematic to us and maladaptive. So I think it's adaptive in the sense that when we start to get depressed, what do we do? We ruminate. We go inside and we start thinking about what we had done and we start beating ourselves up and we think about that same thing over and over and over and over again. And it feels terrible. But the adaptive part is this. Oftentimes what we're doing in that is we're recognizing, overwhelmingly recognizing, that the thing that we did, it goes against what we wanted, who we want to be, who we want to become. And that we get stuck in it and beat ourselves up. Now, this is where the adaptive part comes in. If we can think about recognizing the thing that we did, the mistake that we made, as the writer here puts, the immoral thing that they did, then we can say, you know what? I did that thing and I'm sorry for it and it sucks, but I have to move past it. And I'm going to make these changes in my life appropriately. I'm going to make these changes in my life so that I don't do that thing again. Now, this would be appropriate guilt. This would be reasonable guilt. When it starts to get into uh, uh, compulsive guilt, that can also be a problem, and that's where we start to get stuck. But if we then say, you know what, I, I honestly did that thing, and we accept the reality of what we had done, and then we, we move on from it. We forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we made or the things that we did, and then we move forward. And we we in the situations, or if those situations come up again, we do our best to do something different, to act in accordance with our values, to act in response to our, our reasonable and identified worldview. And sometimes that's really, really hard to do. And usually that's what leads us to doing, as this writer says, the immoral thing or, or the, uh, the thing that goes against our belief system. So... As we're getting better and as we're trying to identify what our anxieties are and trying to challenge those, if we just become, if we, if we just shackle ourselves to our mistakes and we constantly spend every single day beating ourselves up, we're never going to give ourselves the opportunity to do something different and to become that better person. So it does take some work to do and it takes some effort and it can feel weird to forgive yourself. 
We have this delusion that if I beat myself up, I'm never going to do that thing again. And if I beat myself up enough, I will somehow uh, uh, be absolved of it. Um, but ultimately, what we do is what this writer says is that they never want to leave their house. And then we don't really give ourselves the opportunity to improve. So to the writer of this question and to you out there who has that thing that you're thinking about, that thing that you did five years ago, 10 years ago, five minutes ago, that thing, you have to find a way to forgive yourself. Own up to it. Identify that, yeah, you did that thing, but that it's not the end of the world. You have an opportunity in two minutes, in 10 minutes, in 20 minutes, in five days or five years, or you have the rest of your life to live in accordance with your values. Now, it can be hard to do again, but um, but give yourself that permission to move forward. So, um, so again, I, if you have any other questions about what this means or what this looks like. Um, this was this is definitely stuff that you can talk about with a therapist. Uh, if you have a really trusted friend or a really wise friend or a mentor out there, this is absolutely something that you can talk with excuse me, him or her about. Um, but it's important stuff to do because again, if we if we don't allow ourselves to move forward, we're never going to improve. So again, thanks writer for this question and putting this out there. Um, and I hope you found a way to deal with this and to move on and to forgive yourself. So I spent a little bit of time thinking actually about what I'd said and how I'd responded to this question. Um, and, I, and I committed a amateur mistake, amateur mistake on my end. Um, I had responded, <clears throat> I'd responded as if um, your fear was real. I responded as if the the the, the question uh, that you had posed uh, was something that had actually happened. Now, amateur mistake on my end because I'd pretended in my silly head that uh, you hadn't posted that uh, to the OCD subreddit, uh, not the this is something that has actually happened or uh, genuine social uh, issues, genuine religious problems, something genuinely immoral. And I'd responded as if uh, you'd actually done something. Now, you may have, but I first wanted to go over just uh, uh, just a couple things. One, you said it was immoral. Now, that you didn't specify whether it was a religious thing that you had done or if it was a social or kind of interpersonal thing that you had done. So it's some thing that you had done that you or rule that you had violated. It was so terrible. It was so awful that uh, you're calling it immoral and you're not wanting to leave the house. Why it's important to recognize whether or not it's a religious thing that you had done or a social thing is because that will be the direction from which the the, the actual consequences would come. So if you had actually done something, the consequences would either come from uh, God, the universe, uh, however you would view the religious sphere, or it'll come from your social life in some fashion. Um, or I suppose it could also be from your work or your, uh, um, I guess, your, your emotional functioning. It could come from anything. So one thing to remember about OCD is we tend to overestimate a number of things, as I'd previously mentioned. So it's possible, writer, that you are 
overestimating the act itself, the thing that you did you perceived as being more awful than it actually was. You might be overestimating your responsibility in what had happened, overestimating the damage done or overestimating the consequences of what the the perceived infraction was. Now, from that, what your compulsion is, is self-punishment. You're trying to beat yourself up for something that you think that you had done, may have actually done, but you're beating yourself up. And ultimately speaking, that's not getting you anywhere. We don't gain by self-punishment. You're not getting anywhere by beating yourself up, by not going out of the house, by telling yourself you're garbage. It's not helping. So you're beating yourself up thinking that you're getting what you deserve. You're not. You're not getting what you deserve. Let's say you'd actually have done something awful and terrible Well, the consequences are coming. If you've done something truly immoral, truly awful, consequences are coming from some direction, in which case, um, it's out of your hands. It's already coming. But the way that we move forward with this and part of forgiveness is by letting yourself off the hook and experiencing and welcoming and being open to the natural consequences as they come, when they come, if they're going to come. Now, if they don't come, you've gotten away with something. That doesn't then open you up to self-punishment further, to beat yourself up, to avoid, to uh, in any way try to harm yourself for this uh, thing that you believe you had done. Now, your exposure then is to accept and acknowledge that maybe you actually had done something truly awful. You may have. Let's be honest. You probably did something at some point in your life that is truly terrible. This thing that you're referring to may or may not, in the grand scheme of things, or to your friend or to a loved one, they might not actually say, oh, yeah, that thing is really problematic. But you view it as such. So acknowledge and accept it. Sure. I did something terrible. And that stinks. And it's awful. And it's not something that I wanted. Um, and then you need to take that feeling that you're going to get. I want you to embrace it and experience that awful feeling that you have. And take that feeling and move on with your day. Get up, go outside, take that feeling with you for a little journey outside. You're going to go to the store. You're going to go to work. You're going to go hang out with your friends. And your awful feeling is going to go with you. And it's going to be with you for as long as it's going to be there. And then it's going to eventually go away. It's like that dog barking. It's going to be there and it's going to bark and it's going to be annoying and it might look really terrifying. Remember, your brain is giving you all these images about you getting all this punishment because of this horrible immoral act that you that you did. Well, maybe it's coming, but maybe it's not coming. So move forward with life as if it's not going to happen, but maybe it's going to happen. And accept and acknowledge that you might have done something truly awful. But it still comes back to beating yourself up is not helping you one bit other than continuing on this guilt and continuing on this belief that you had actually done something truly awful and terrible. So accept that you might have done something, but move forward in life as if you haven't. It's the only way that we can live and be open to the consequences may be coming. Good luck. All right. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the FearCast. If you have a question that you would like answered on a future episode, you can either leave a voice message at 714-594-9281 or visit the website at fearcastpodcast.com. Click on the submit a question link and leave your message there. Remember, 
The FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about finding a therapist or need some extra help in your recovery, you can visit the Find Help page at fearcastpodcast.com. So, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.